The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're called to love God, love people, and serve the world. So how do we do that knowing that we're going to disagree with other people? It's nice and fluffy, and it feels good to say, love God, love people, and serve the world. But living that out practically is a different thing because people will not always agree with you. People are going to push back against some way that you think or something that you want to do. And we need to know how do we still love God, love people, and serve the world when there's going to be so many people that we disagree with because it would be easy for us to love God love people and serve the world, if everyone just thought our ideas were the best, if everyone just loved our way of thinking and everyone thought just like we did, valued what we valued, and everyone just did everything that we wanted them to do. So how do we, know, how do, we do this knowing that we're going to get offended? We are going to be offended in this lifetime, and you are going to be the source of offense as well. So not only are you going to be offended, but you're probably going to rub someone else the wrong way. How do we navigate that thing? Well, I want you to write this down. People are different. That's okay because I'm called to love them anyways. Why don't we just say that together? It'll be fun. People are different. That's okay because I'm called to love them anyways. One more time with gusto. People are different that's okay because I'm called to love them anyways. It's what we're called to do, even though they're different. Look at the person next to you and tell them you're different. If you're not sitting next to someone, just shout it out to some random stranger. You're different. But that's okay because guess what? Guess what? I'm different too. I'm different, you're different, and we have to figure out how to navigate relationships because tension exists when we disagree, and we disagree because we're different. But here's the problem. The problem is too often we allow the tension to create division because we don't want to be around people that think differently than us. But folks, can I tell you that's impossible? We want to avoid the tension, and we just only want to surround ourselves with people who think like we do, who value what we value, who vote like we vote, who spend their money and manage their money the way that we spend our money and manage our money, the family values that we have and the things that we want to do. We only want to surround ourselves with those people, and we don't really want to interact or get to know anyone who's different than us because the tension can sometimes be too uncomfortable. And there's just things that exist, and we would rather avoid feeling the tension because it just is something we don't want to deal with. But we have to deal with it if we're going to love God, love people, and serve the world. The problem is is that when we allow the tension to divide us, that's not very Christ-like. It's not very loving, and it's not biblical. Jesus introduced such a radical way of thinking that turned the existing social system into a tailspin because it was so countercultural. And it would be countercultural today, but you and I are called 
as followers of Christ to be countercultural. We are called to be the light of the world. Jesus said we are supposed to be salt and we are supposed to be light. We are not supposed to be like everyone and everything else. We who follow him should be different and we should love people the way that Jesus loved people and taught us to love and interact with people, especially, listen to me, not even when we disagree, but especially when we disagree. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. Let's look here at the most famous sermon in Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to read a portion of it in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to see what Jesus said. And here's what I want you to do. As we read through Matthew chapter 5, I want you to kind of maybe make a note. If you want to write it in your Bible or underline something that stands out to you, or maybe you want to write down if you're taking notes, or maybe if you're on your phone, you just write maybe a little note or something as something stands out to you. Because I believe that as you read through this, you're going to see some of the very things that I'm going to bring out. And as you see it, I want you to just make a mark that you see it, that you see that he's talking about navigating relationships with people that we may disagree with. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or on a stand, and it gives light to all that's in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Keep reading, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come, to, I've come I say to you, I've, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that someone has an offense against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. 
Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. He says in verse 27, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It's also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, or you, or you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more? This comes from evil. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would use you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs to you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, then what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, what a heavy, heavy passage of Scripture that gives us a lot of responsibility and shows us the heart of heaven. And I hope that as we read this, that maybe you underlined some of the things that stood out to you as the heart of God, as love being scripted out to us to be able to see that people are different. And that's okay because I'm called to love them anyways. Which verses maybe stood out to you? Did you see any verses that dealt with how we should treat people that we disagree with? How about maybe verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. Did, did you underline that one maybe? How about verse 13 through 16? You're the salt of the earth. Let's us know we're supposed to be different. And we're also light. How about verse 23 through 24, where we see if you bring in a, a gift to the altar, if you bring something to God, and then you remember before you bring your gift that there's something wrong between you and your brother, that you should instead pause bringing that gift to God and first go make it right with them and then come back and make your offering to God. It shows you the value system of heaven. It shows you what's more important. Because a lot of us can come to church and we can give things to God. Oh, God, I'll give you my time. Oh, God, I'll do something for someone else. But I just don't want to deal with that situation that's difficult. 
that tense relationship that I have, or that issue with my spouse, or I don't want to deal with that issue with that coworker or with that family member, but God, I'm going to give you everything. Don't you want everything? He says, you know, actually, I'd rather you pause giving me that gift and go make this right, and then come back and give the gift. Isn't that a powerful verse of Scripture? This is Jesus teaching what matters most to God. God was not interested in the gift. He was interested in your heart making it right. Even as Jesus begins to re-examine what we had come to think was actually sinful, we thought that if we just didn't do this or that, if we didn't kill, if we didn't you know, commit adultery, that was good. And Jesus said, you've heard it said not to do these things, but you know what? That's not really what it meant. What it really meant was, your heart needs to be steered away from this because if you're, if you're looking at this woman this way or if you're angry with your brother, it's basically the same thing as if you'd already done it. Kind of like, you know, we all have Christian curse words, right? We have these words that are acceptable in Christian, you know, circles that we can say and we don't have to bleep them out. And I could say some of those words and we wouldn't have to bleep them out of this sermon, because some of those words are acceptable in Christian circles. But then if we, if we say another word that may be more offensive, oh my goodness, oh, people get upset and leave the church over that. But here's the thing, if my heart was in the other word, but it's less offensive, which is God looking at, the actual word? Does God have like a list of words, like the naughty and like kind of okay, like these, you can say, you know, those. <laughs> is that what God looks at? Does God go, oh, oh, this is, this is you know, PG-13, that's not okay. That's not what God looks at. He's looking at the intention of the heart. And it doesn't matter how, how people-friendly or public-friendly that that word may be. If you say it and you have the intention of, of saying something more offensive, that's how God looks at it. God's looking at the intent. He's looking at the motive. He sees past all the other things that we can create that are socially acceptable. In this chapter that we just read, there's a theme throughout it. And the theme is that people are different. And they're going to treat us poorly. And there's going to be times where we're going to be persecuted, even for Jesus' sake. Or maybe people are just treating us, you know, wrong. And Jesus teaches us how to respond Love is the revelation of the heart of God. Love is the, the revelation of, of, of the heart of God. And Christ walked in perfect love towards everyone that he encountered, especially those he disagreed with. And we're called to do the same. Because here's the revelation for you today. You can love someone without agreeing with them. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You don't have to amen me on that. No, it's, you can love someone without agreeing with them. This is the beautiful thing about love, is that it can transcend you disagreeing. That's how you can love your spouse, even though you may disagree with them. You can love your coworker. You can love your family member. You can love your Christ-following brother or sister that you may disagree with. You don't have to sync up on every single thing so for someone to be qualified for you to treat them a certain way or love them or have a relationship with them or, or, or treat them the way that God would want you to treat them. There's, there, we have all these pre-qualifications that we put people through sometimes before we'll make the effort to try to love them. It's almost like you're not my type of person, so I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to give you the time of day. 
or I'm going to treat you a certain way because you practice this or you think this way or you do this. And folks, I, I just wholeheartedly disagree with that. And I don't see that in Scripture. Uh, I mean, I, I understand we need to definitely have moral boundaries, and, and we see that in Scripture. It's very important for us to do that. But, man, I remember there, there, there were people that I've, I've heard say things like, well, I'm not going to go eat at this restaurant because this person thinks this way or this person believes this way, and they work at that restaurant. Or like, what? I heard that one of the cooks, you know, practices this or does this. Well, what? Or are you going to go seriously in every restaurant that you go eat in? Um, I need a list of all your beliefs. And if you're an atheist or, you know, if you're homosexual or if you are, you know, if, if you've ever been incarcerated or if you ever had this, I'm not eating at your establishment, you know. Come on. But I've heard people say those things. Well, I'm not going to go over here because this person is there and they've done this or they do that. That's not Christ-like at all. I'm, I'm not going to go to this place. I'm not going to interact with this person. Or I'm, oh, so-and-so's in the break room. Oh, I, I, I don't really agree with the way that they're living, and so I'm not going to spend much time with them. What, what would Jesus do, man? Who, who would Jesus spend time with? Let me tell you something. When Jesus was on this earth, he wasn't chasing around church people. He wasn't hanging out with people who had their moral act together. He was grateful that they had their moral act together, but he said, I'm here for the lost people. He said, I'm looking to seek and save that which was lost. I didn't come for the, the well. I came for the sick. Jesus had a very clear mission, and he treated people in a way that blew their minds because most Jewish people in that day had looked down on them and had already judged them and had already treated them so poorly that they had not made following God or serving God very attractive. They were not interested in this God because there were all these elitists who were casting down judgment on them. And Jesus came and said, I'll have lunch with the prostitute." I'll sit with the tax collectors and the thieves, the scum of society in that day. I'll go and talk to the Samaritan. Matter of fact, I'll even tell you a story about how a Samaritan actually went and did a better job of serving someone who was wounded than actually a priest did. This is just what Jesus did. That doesn't mean Jesus agreed with their lifestyle. It didn't mean Jesus was giving them a pass on the sin that they were living. As a matter of fact, when Jesus went to the woman who was about to be stoned to death, who was caught in the very act of prostitution, which that must have been awkward for her. It wasn't that she was known to be a prostitute. Scripture says she was caught in the act. We caught her in the act of prostitution, and we threw her out, and we're ready to just stone this woman. That's what the law says. And they look at Jesus, and they say, what do you say? And Jesus said, let he who has no sin in his life, why don't you throw the first stone? And then one by one, they drop the stones, and the woman is just probably anticipating the pain of feeling that first stone contact her body that was going to be one of many. And she was probably so tense and terrified and probably trying to cover her head. And then Jesus comes, and he says, woman, where are your accusers now? And she goes, Oh, Lord, there's, there's nobody, that's, they're all gone. What happened? And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. But then what did he say next? 
go and sin no more. He still gave her truth. So it wasn't that he was agreeing with her lifestyle, but the way that he treated her was so different than those religious people that were just wanting to cast down judgment and think they were better than her because he was basically saying, you're not better than her. You don't have a leg up on her just because you weren't caught in the act of adultery because I say to you, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, he's trying to get to the heart of the issue. So it's not that I'm affirming and, and I'm giving them a pass on their lifestyle. It's just that I'm loving them where they're at. I can love someone and disagree with them at the same time because love is the revelation of the heart of God. It is possible and it is godly to have relationships, friendships, marriages, and even those who don't share our values and don't live for Christ to still be loved by us who say we follow Jesus. How do you navigate, though, interactions with people who have different opinions about topics that matter a lot to you? You know what I've seen and what I've experienced and what I've participated in even. I'll, I'll just be honest enough to say I've participated in conversations where I've sat around with people who feel that they're right about a certain topic. And we'll just talk about how right we are. And if someone comes along to try to throw in a, a, a different viewpoint or a different angle or maybe just their way that they see it, the group will kind of gang up on them to try to make them feel stupid, to try to maybe expose how dumb their way of thinking is. That's what Jesus did. I see that all throughout Scripture. Wait, no. <laughs> That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't get a gang of people to try to convince someone that they're dumb or expose their way of thinking because it disagreed with his value system. Man, how frustrating must that be to have been the only perfect person who have ever lived and be surrounded by morons? I mean, like, literally surrounded by thousands and thousands of morons who think they know it all, who think they've got it all figured out, who think that they, 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 they've got all the answers, and Jesus is like, oh, my goodness, you, you guys. The only way you could be around that many people being the only perfect person alive is to be so full of love that you allow your love to look past the disagreement so you're not divided. That's the only way you could do that. And we have the love of Christ on the inside of us, and we're not perfect. We believe and we understand that Jesus is the only way, and we're not budging on that belief. But that does not give me the right to be ugly towards an atheist. How are we supposed to show the love of God if the tension that exists between our differences causes us to self-righteously wound other people? The main people group that Jesus himself chastised and rebuked were the religious people who thought they were more significant than others because of their belief. That method of taking down another human being doesn't win them to Christ, and it does not make Christianity attractive. It just doesn't. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Enough of hearing Pastor Derek's thoughts. Let's hear God's thoughts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9 we're going to read verse 9 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 
For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Here we see the Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, listen, guys, Man, you guys are, are you, you really don't even need to be taught by me about the love of God because God has taught you about his love. And you get it. You guys are doing, you're striving to grow in loving other people. And I'm going to keep encouraging you to do that more and to live peaceable lives with others. In other words, he's saying people that disagree with you, people that don't believe like you, strive to live peaceably with them and show them that type of love. That's where you're going to be effective. That's where you're actually going to show them something that's attractive. Getting in debates on Facebook and at work does not make Christ more attractive to a watching world. Do we think that if we make others look stupid that we make Christ more attractive to them because we proved a point? I love apologetics. And I love being able to defend my faith when I'm questioned. And I need to be able to give an answer for why I believe what I believe. But apologetics should not be the Christian's bullets to load up their gun to take to that social media or to that family member. And I think we've done a great disservice when we study Christian apologetics so we can just load up our guns to go fire at people. Yeah, we need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to be able to defend our faith. The Bible says we need to be able to do that. But not at the cost of us trying to embarrass someone else or make them feel stupid, even if they're trying to make us feel stupid. Well, if they're trying to make me look dumb and make Christianity look dumb, then I need to make them look dumb. That's not what Jesus said. He said if he smacks you on the right cheek, give him the other one too. That's what he said. Is it not? It said if he, if, if he wants you to, forces you to walk one mile with him, say, I'll sign up for another one. Let's go. That's the thing that's going to blow a watching world's mind. Not when we prove how smart we are or how educated we are. Because, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people argue on social media, right? And I have gotten caught up in that stuff too. I remember back during the election season, Especially during the uh, um, uh, when President Obama got reelected during that season, there were so so much arguments, and then also around when uh, President Trump got elected, all those things. There's so many people arguing and using social media as a platform. And and used to social media was like this thing that you would get on to like watch cats play keyboards, and it was something you would get on to like see how Charlie bit in your finger, and you know, the evolution of dance, and, and you, that was what social media was super fun to go watch, and then it turned into this nothing but politics, and that's all it was, was just politics, 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 and you'd get on, and you'd be like, where's the cat? Where did it go? Someone please post a cat playing an instrument. Because all I see is all of this stuff. And I would read some of the comments. And sometimes I get suckered into it. And I never, ever saw, not one single time, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you've seen it. I never saw one person going, you know, thank you for making this post because I used to think differently. And now because of your post, I am completely converted to your way of thinking. And I'm going to vote this way because you did such a job of, a good job of giving such a compelling argument that it has changed my complete political view. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I applaud 
your efforts. I never saw that happen. Uh, maybe you did. I just saw a bunch of, bunch of people arguing their side. That's all I saw. I never saw anyone go, oh, you know what? You're right. That's really great. Thank you. I've completely changed. It was just people being ugly and vicious towards each other. And, th and they can do it behind the, the screen of their phone and never see these people face to face. But yet it reveals the animosity that they have towards others that they disagree with. Because you would never be that vile to that person face to face. But yet it doesn't matter if you would face to face or not because it's in your heart. Are you, you hearing what Jesus was trying to show us? In Matthew chapter 5, he was trying to show you, yeah, you can hide it all, you can stuff it all, but it's still in your heart. And if you have a medium to let it come out, whether it's something you think you can control and be secretive about, and you can look at that woman in lust, or you can really be angry towards your brother and put on a smile when he comes around, or you can be ugly behind social media and then, hey, how you doing? He said, it's really exposing your heart, and Jesus sees the heart. And he wants us to know that's not okay just because you can mask it and hide it. It's not right. You can love someone. And I know this is a revolutionary idea for some of you today. But you can love someone and disagree with them. It's okay because people are different, right? That's okay. And I'm called to love them anyways, right? You are going to have these relationships throughout the rest of your life. You're never going to get away from it. You're never going to get away from it. And you've got to learn how to do this. We all need to learn how to do this. Because people often do not always remember what you say. But they will remember how you made them feel. They don't remember a lot of the things that you said. And that's why when people retell stories of what happened, if there was like a heated exchange, it's always like amplified towards their direction. And it's never truly what happened. I've never heard anyone tell a story about a heated, you know, argument that that was verbatim exactly what happened, exact tones used, um, exact voice inflection used, exact hand gestures used, exact body uh, positioning used. No, I, I never heard anyone tell it. They always... Tell it towards their bent of how they really feel about it. Well, pastor, my wife told me, she came in the other day and she said, you're good for nothing, you don't do anything. And she actually didn't say any of those things or use that tone. <laughs> my wife gets on to me because I have a voice that I use when I try to say something that she said, and I'm not going to do it for you because I'll get in major trouble. <laughs> and when I use that voice, she'll say, I don't talk like that. And then I'll say it in my voice back to her, I don't talk like that. And I'll do the voice, and that's not okay. <clears throat> I do it just to pick at her. We don't do it, I don't do it to be ugly. I just pick at her. We're both from the South, and we have accents, blah, 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 whatever. But people don't always remember what you say, and they may not always say it the way you said it or give the true story, and they may not completely represent you very well. But let me tell you something, people are going to remember how you made them feel, and that's what they're really communicating. When they use those voices, or when they use those body gestures, or when they use those, uh, uh, that way they're describing what you said, even though maybe it wasn't verbatim, it doesn't matter your intentions, it doesn't matter what you were trying to get across, what really ultimately matters is how you affected them. 
What really matters is how you made them feel because that's the part you're going to have to deal with. Because how, how many of us guys do this all the time where we'll say something to our wives and then we'll say, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. It doesn't matter what you meant. That is irrelevant, sir. It is irrelevant what you meant. All that matters and the thing you're going to have to fix and the thing you're going to have to ask for forgiveness for and the thing you're going to have to work through and work on is how you made them feel. Because they may not remember exactly what you said, but, man, they remember the effect. They didn't go, oh, well, I didn't know your intentions were so pure. Oh, well, I'll just move on. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if relationships worked that way? <laughs> but it's not how it works. All we remember is how the other person made us feel. And we need to say, you know, I'm sorry, I would never want you to feel that way. I would never want to make you feel that way that, man, I, I, that's not in my heart to do. Because it doesn't really matter what we intended. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 23, Paul says this to young Timothy. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Oh, my goodness. Patiently enduring evil. I think I just read that for the first time. <clears throat> okay, <laughs> verse 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses, that they may escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Man, Paul was warning Timothy not to get caught up in trying to fix these false teachers' doctrine by arguing with them. That's what, in context, this is talking about. Paul was addressing, hey, you know there's false teachers, so you need to take responsibility for yourself. And you need to make sure that you are being the type of person who studied to show yourself approved. That you're the type of person that is walking blameless. That you're striving to live this life of integrity. So your responsibility is for yourself. And when it comes to other people, don't get caught up in, in trying to argue with these false teachers. He said, don't get caught up in these foolish arguments. Don't get caught up in that. It was kind of like, you know, he's warning him against Facebook before Facebook. And he said, this is ignorant. They're ignorant controversies. They breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But you really need to be kind to everyone. You need to be patiently enduring evil. And when you do correct your opponents, you do so in gentleness. So he did say you can bring correction. It's not that you just have to take everything that somebody dishes out. That's not godly either, because Jesus didn't do that. But it's when we speak corrective words when we speak truth we do it with an attitude and a heart of love not an attitude of arrogance if love is at the core we will always correct in a spirit of humility you need to write that down i need to write that down if love is at the core we will always correct in a spirit of humility so how do i know if i'm being humble and if I'm confronting or disagreeing with someone, uh, with someone, uh, and my heart is positioned with humility, how, how do I know if I'm doing that? You will always be able to speak the truth in love if your goal is to help, not to be proven right. If your goal is to help, if your goal is to just speak that truth in a helpful way, 
Not so someone will go, wow, you're right. Oh, wow. Wow, you are so smart. You are so right, and I'm so wrong. You know what? I've counseled a lot of people, and, and when couples start to argue, I never see them just have this moment where they go, wow, you're so right. I was so wrong. You're so smart and handsome and educated. Wow, I'm so lucky. Not going to happen. Quit dreaming. So here's the thing. That can't be the goal. If that's the goal for someone to come to that realization, you know what? You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle in your marriage. You're going to struggle in relationships. If your goal is for that person just to have this revelation that you are so smart and you were right all along, and then you can go, (laughs) I told you so. It's like our favorite line, and it's so selfish. If our goal is to hear the words, you know, you were right, or if our goal is to be able to say, I told you so, we're not doing this in love. Because that's flesh. That's the flesh that would speak that. That's the flesh that wants to be right, and that's the flesh that, man, it, it's not humility. So the question we need to answer honestly is, what is my motive? What's my goal? Is it to be proven right? And if it is, we need to stop. We need to stop arguing with whoever we're arguing with, whoever we're disagreeing with. We need to check our heart, and we need to say, God... I'm going to confess this sin to you right now. That in my heart, I'm more concerned about being right. And my attitude is following accordingly. (laughs) Help me to have a heart to love this person. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, whether it's a coworker. God, help me to do this. Because I need you right now. I need you to help me do this right now. And do it right there in that moment. Got to spend a little bit of time with Ken and Nancy Nair um, before took them back to uh, Milwaukee so they could catch their flight the next day. And he told me something that scared me um, a lot. He told me, he said, he gave his wife permission to tell him when he was not being Christ-like. And he said, I gave her permission to tell me at any given time. He said, she said, well, what if we're out in public with people? He said, I don't care. I want you to tell me. He said, because I want to be aware of when I'm getting over into my flesh and I'm not being Christ-like towards you. And he began to do that. And the first time she did that, when they were out to dinner with friends, he said it got awkward. He said it got awkward for them and their friends. He said, but she just gently said, Ken, you're doing it. He said, doing what? It. Oh, oh, well, I don't want to do that. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you for making me aware. And the couple, other couple that they're having dinner with is like, what? What did he do? He said, people didn't want to go out to eat with us anymore. <laughs> he said, but I didn't care, he said, because my priority was being Christ-like. And he said, and I wanted to be Christ-like. So I think that for us to be aware, we have to say, God, Help me to see when I'm not being Christ-like towards another person, whether it's my spouse, whether it's a friend, whoever. God, help me to be able to recognize when I'm not being very loving. Because if love is the revelation of the heart of the Father, 
then I want to make sure my life is revealing the heart of the Father because guess what? He's a lot better than I am. And His ways are higher than my ways. And I would rather show people the love of Christ than me get to hear those words that I can get so addicted to. You're right. Amen, somebody? You know, it's, uh, it's even hard for me as a pastor sometimes. Sometimes I'll, you know, we'll talk in a staff meeting. I'll say, hey, what did you guys think about weekend service, you know? And they're like, oh, you know, the music was good. We had, it was, you know, good attendance. And people seemed to really, you know, connect well that weekend with what was going on. Yeah, but I really want to know what they think about the sermon, right? And I'm like, hey, and? <laughs> and what else? Yeah, the sermon was good too. But I remember when I first got here almost seven years ago, one of the, one of the regular criticisms that uh, I would hear from the staff, and, and I always opened up, I, I, I love their feedback, because they were really honest with me. Um, and uh, they said, I said, you know, Pastor, you need to be careful about you know, asking for people to say amen all the time. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And I began to think about it, and I understand what they were saying. Sometimes we can ask people to always respond and do what we want them to do, can't we? See what I did there? <laughs> but sometimes we can look for that, and if we don't get it, if we don't get that, we get upset, or we think we're doing something wrong. Like, if I don't hear you say amen, I'm like, I don't think they like the sermon that well. But that's not for you. That's something I am trying to ask for. It's not right. You shouldn't need that to feel like something went well. No more than you need to hear the answer that you're looking for for someone to know that you're doing the right thing. Because the right thing is always the right thing, whether you get the response you were looking for or not. Amen. Tension can be healthy. Tension can be very healthy. Just like a rubber band. Think about the best use for a rubber band is when there's a proper amount of tension on it. If there's too much tension... It snaps, it breaks. If there's no tension at all on the rubber band, then it's useless. It's just this weird, floppy thing. It needs tension. And when it has the right amount of tension on it, man, it's super useful. And I believe that tension is good for us, and we're going to always live in the tension. Sometimes we can have too much tension, and stuff starts to break and fall apart. And we need to say, God, help me to manage that tension to where I'm being stretched, to where I'm being stretched enough to be useful, for your kingdom, but where I'm not overstretched to where I'm just living in my flesh or where I just want to be around everyone else because in a box of rubber bands, I just want to be around other rubber bands, but they're not useful. They're all just these weird floppy things that are just sitting in a drawer or on somebody's desk. They need tension. Help me to be used by you. Help me to, help me to be used by you in a way that I can help people to feel that love of God. And know that the love of God is real because I'm a conduit of the love of God. James 4, 6 through 7 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to evaluate a relationship that we have with someone that we disagree with. And I want you to reread Matthew 5 now in a different light after you've heard this message. I want you to go back at some time today. Please do this today. 
I know you can carve out five, ten minutes to read through Matthew 5. I know you can take that time. So please, make this a priority. And in light of what the Holy Spirit has done in you today and what he's spoken to your heart, in light of the notes you've taken, in light of the things that God has deposited and dropped in your spirit today, I want you to reread Matthew 5 on your own. Maybe even look at some of the things that you underlined, the things that stood out to you. Now, what does God want you to do with that? Who is that one person that maybe comes to mind that you have had some tension with, that you've had disagreements with? Maybe you're stretched a little too far in that direction. How can you, how can you bring that back to a healthier place? Put that love into action. Ask yourself and ask God, what am I supposed to do differently in this relationship? Because what I've been doing has not been working. And if you keep doing that same thing over and over again, you don't get different results. You're going nuts, right? So maybe there is someone you need to talk to. Maybe there's someone you need to ask to forgive you because you've disagreed with them and it's caused painful, overextending tension in your relationship. Maybe it was even a way you were treated. Maybe it was a way you were neglected or looked over. Maybe there's unspoken tension there and it's still weird when you're around them. And you just try to ignore the unspoken tension. Perhaps it's something that someone said. Or maybe it's something that someone didn't say. Maybe it's someone at church. Maybe it's a relationship with your Christian brothers or sisters. What would love have you do? How can you reveal the heart of God to them by the way that you treat them? By the way that you lovingly confront them with your offense? What is God telling you to do? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a stretch. But it is healthy, and it will help you to grow. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this word. Help us to learn how to not just agree with people, but also to disagree in a healthy way, where love can be at the center of our heart and our motives. Help us to check ourselves and to grow in Christ-likeness towards our spouse, our family, our friends, and even those that aren't our friends, that maybe we would just consider enemies. Help us to love our enemies. We pray that in the prayer that you taught us, Lord. I don't think we think about what that really means or necessarily how to do it. Help us to stay away from foolish arguments and avoiding those controversies and trying to make someone else look foolish or prove how right we are. Help us to navigate relationships in love so that the world can see Jesus in action, so they can see the heart of the Father revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.